0: And please be seated. if you have a Bible, you can open to genesis uh, we'll look at the end of chapter one and the, the first part of chapter two this morning, or the text is printed in the bulletin also um, genesis one thirty one through two three so one of the um, one of the things that we talk about somewhat frequently is that the uh, the chapter divisions and a lot of times the paragraph divisions uh, that we see in the scriptures are often poor choices. They're all artificial. Uh, there, there weren't those chapter divisions in the um, original uh, text. Uh, and this is probably one of the worst chapter divisions in the history of bad chapter divisions. Uh, that this, uh, this, this text about the seventh day of creation, the fact that it shows up in chapter two and not with the rest of what comes in chapter one, is... Uh, is really unhelpful, very unhelpful for us to understand what comes here at the very beginning of the scriptures, which are so important uh, for us in in shaping our view of what the scriptures are about and what life is about in history. Um, The Sabbath that that we look at this morning, um, the seventh day, is, is massively important for our whole view of life and relationship with God and history and our destiny and eternity. It's massively important for all of that, and uh, it's, it's the end of the song of creation. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. That uh, chapter one and this part of chapter two, it's, it's a song. It's, uh, there's, there's structure, there's patterns, there's um, repeated uh, sort of refrains that take place. This is a song of creation, and the song of creation, it's all going somewhere, and the culmination of it is here uh, in, in uh, the beginning of chapter two. Um, with the seventh day, the, the culmination of it is the Sabbath. So there's a sense in which what this is uh, communicating to us here at the beginning of the scriptures is that the end goal has already been attained once. Uh, the end goal of God's work in creation, his purpose for it, has already been attained once. Uh, and then we broke everything <laughs> through our sin and rebellion, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks when we talk about Genesis chapter 3, but we broke the world, uh, the world had already kind of arrived in a sense. There, there's a sense in which um, the, the ultimate goal had been attained, but even though we broke it, God's ultimate goal is still out there in front of us. Um, his ultimate goal is to renew the world in an eternal seventh day, an eternal Sabbath, uh, in order to dwell with his people forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So we're going to talk about that this morning and, and how that uh, kind of shapes the way we should look at um, our lives and our uh, how we can put that into practice. So <clears throat> let's pray, and then we'll read from the Scriptures. Father, we pray that even uh, even though we're familiar with this passage, uh, it may be difficult for us to understand uh, rightly the way that you intend it to be understood by us, and we We pray that you would help us, that you would overcome um, any obstacles in our minds and especially in our hearts uh, to understanding your word here for relationship with you and for the the transformation of our personal lives. We pray that you would do this work by your spirit now as we consider your word, and also uh, we pray it for the sake of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray in his name, amen. Starting in 131, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, this is a critical passage for our understanding of the purpose, the trajectory here of the whole whole scriptures. A lot of time you see uh, at the beginning of a book, um, there'll be kind of a purpose statement like why we're writing this book. Um... And this is this is kind of it. This is kind of what appears here at the beginning in this song. The scripture's opening with this song, and here's the culmination. This is where we're going. This is what the whole trajectory of history is supposed to be out uh, about and um, the, the purpose of creation. It, it is difficult to overemphasize that point. It's difficult to overemphasize the important uh, uh, nature, the importance of the Bible's view of the Sabbath, what in, in the Hebrew scriptures it's the seventh day, the Sabbath, right? It's almost impossible to overemphasize the importance of that for God, uh, for his people. To understand this passage, uh, these verses here are referred to throughout the scriptures. Uh, For example, Exodus 20, probably one of the more familiar places, uh, Exodus 20, where God says, remember the Sabbath. This is the fourth commandment of the ten, the great ten commandments. The fourth one is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You do work on six days, the seventh day you rest because in creation, God worked six days and the seventh day he rested. So this, is the, this forms the ground for the uh, fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's the basis for the Hebrew calendar, right? The, the fact that there are uh, seven days, the six you work, the seventh you rest. Uh, it's the basis for that calendar. It's not just the weekly calendar, but the annual calendar with the feasts. And beyond that, you know, every seven years there'd be the Sabbath year. Every 49 years there'd be this super Sabbath year where it's uh, a festival, a celebration, the Jubilee year, right? The year of Jubilee. Um, And so this this concept of the Sabbath forms the foundation for the Hebrew calendar. They're just keep track of time. One of the most important concepts for humanity is this concept of time. You're supposed to keep track of it with this concept of the Sabbath. So it's very important. Um, Exodus 31, this is how important it is. God says that above all, above all, (laughs) of all the laws, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I'm the one who sets you apart. I'm the one who makes you holy. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. That's pretty stark. Uh, it's pretty startling. But I think it basically means um, this is a matter of life and death for you, this concept of the Sabbath. And, and, um, and if you don't keep my Sabbath, if you're not going in this direction with your life and your view of what life is about and your view of relationship with God, then you're dwelling in death anyway. I mean, you're, you're dead to God and to his uh, purpose in your creation. So, Um, it is that stark. It is a matter of life and death. Isaiah 56, uh, it says that the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, so not just the people of Israel, not just the ancient Hebrews, but the people from surrounding nations who are attracted to Yahweh or attracted to Israel's God, when they join themselves to the Lord, uh, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, And holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, God says, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's talking about the temple, he's talking about the place where his presence dwells, and he's talking about bringing all the nations into that. Which, kind of as a side note, is why Jesus got pretty angry when he visited the temple and saw the Jews neglecting their mission in this sense, to, to go out and gather all the nations, that this temple would be a house of prayer for all nations. Instead, they were crowding out the only place in the temple that was available for the Gentiles to worship. And that's why Jesus quotes that. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You're not doing that, so I'm kicking you out, is what uh, effectively he said in, uh, toward the end of most of the Gospels there, the, the temple cleansing scene. Um, Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath, right? Uh, The Gospels constantly record him healing people on the Sabbath or getting into trouble because his disciples aren't keeping the Sabbath according to the laws or the ways that the Pharisees uh, would expect them to keep, right? Uh, Your disciples are breaking the Sabbath again, Jesus. What's up with you? There must be something wrong with you. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, right? Um, Hebrews chapter 4 which Jerry Lee read uh, in the uh, New Testament reading it says, There remains a Sabbath rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Right? So, this concept of the Sabbath, which begins right here on the first page of the Bible. Um, is one that you find throughout the scriptures and it, it really does define uh, the way that we're supposed to view our relationship with God and the ultimate purpose of creation and the, the tra- trajectory of our lives and, and eternal destiny. Right? Uh, it's very important. What we see here at the end of the song of creation is incredibly important. And honestly, its significance is probably lost to most people. I'm not trying to condemn people for uh, not understanding this. I don't understand this until I come back to study this over and over. We've, we've, there's been a few times where I've uh, talked about the Sabbath, either from the Fourth Commandment or similar passages, that uh, it's, always a, it's a constant surprise to me how good the good news is about the Sabbath. Most of us, myself included, uh, usually ask questions like, well, do, do Christians still have to keep the Sabbath? Do we still have to do that? Or, um, if so, you know, what, am, what am I supposed to do exactly? And what am I supposed to not do exactly? Or, um, you know, can I go out to eat? Can I go to a restaurant on the Sabbath? Can I take a nap on the Sabbath? Can I play sports? Uh, can I watch sports on TV? Right? Can I go on a hike? Um, do, do I really have to be in church all day long? Right? These, these, these are the questions that we usually ask uh, And those are all absolutely the wrong kinds of questions, and we should stop asking them. You should stop asking those kind of questions when you think about the Sabbath. And I'll tell you why. Um, People feel the need to ask that kind of question. And it's because there's something wrong with us. There's there's clearly something wrong with the way that we relate to God, the way we understand his word. That shouldn't be a surprise to any of us, that we don't automatically understand everything in God's word rightly. Uh, But when you look at a text like this, it's not answering those kinds of questions, right? Here it is, the beginning of the Sabbath. This one of the most important things throughout the, the Scriptures and the history of God's dealing with people. It's not answering those kinds of questions, right? And so uh, we need to find out what kind of questions it really is answering. Uh, Charles Jacob has a little article that's really great. It's called Eat the Fat, Drink the Sweet, and Be Merry. I think I linked to it on the church's blog uh, this week. He says, recently I heard a student describe to a professor a Sunday church picnic with his PCA church. All was well until he happened to mention that some of them played a little volleyball after lunch. The professor then curtly responded, it must not be a very Presbyterian church. Are we really less Presbyterian if we play a little casual volleyball with our covenant family on the Lord's Day? Similarly, while in Scotland, I came across many adults who remember Sunday as a day of great torment when they were children. Playgrounds were off-limits. Toys were locked up. Many were forced to stay inside all day. In short, they were grounded weekly. Why does a day that is supposed to celebrate God as creator, redeemer, and consummator have to feel like a prison lockdown? That's kind of the way we naturally think about it. One of our favorite movies, probably, Chariots of Fire, right? Eric Little, the, the great sprinter from England who is also a missionary. Uh, he went to serve the people in China. You see right there at the beginning of the movie, great movie, awesome movie, not trying to knock it. But you do see this attitude at the beginning of the movie where he's walking into the churchyard and, and uh, the kids are playing ball, soccer, right, football for them in Scotland and a ball comes flying across his path and he grabs it and he kind of looks, he's got a bit of a smile on his face, but he's pretty disapproving. He says, come on now, this is not a day for playing ball, right? We're going, in, we're going into church. Um, and that, that conception kind of overwhelms the way that we think about the Sabbath. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, it shouldn't be about the rules, what you can do, what you can't do. Uh, a biblical view of the Sabbath is surprisingly delightful. Again, I... I'm surprised every time I look at it. Surprisingly glorious. And it will absolutely change the way that you look at the whole world. The whole world in all of your life. Um, so what's going on in our text? You'll notice that there is some repetition. It's a very short few verses and very repetitive, right? Uh, there's repetition here. It's meant to slow you down to pay attention, right? It's, it's for your reflection. It's saying, this is very important. Uh, this seventh day in the song of creation is very important. It's the end of the song, right? Through Genesis 1, you see the careful structure, the artistic patterns, the repeated refrains, the atmospheric themes. Right? Like a modern music critic would say something, the themes were atmospheric, right? Atmospheric themes in Genesis 1. The Holy Scriptures open with a song. What does that say about the God whose word this is? That the Holy Scriptures open with a song. The first thing God has revealed about himself is that he's a God of song who delights over his creation. This is his song over what he has made. And in fact, God's very being is song. Maybe this gets a little too heady, theological. But his very being is song it's the it's the hum of love for the father the, the the father has for the son in the spirit right three persons in blessed communion now his being is a song and god makes himself heard in what he makes he makes himself heard in creation so we're moved to song thinking about regular old people. We're moved to song by what we love, aren't we? The things that we love, we've got to express ourselves in song. We express ourselves that way to the ones that we love. We sing, right? Um, The singer cares. It's usually not very good song unless you care. The singer cares and that care compels him to communicate the depth of his care through song. It's not your normal way of communicating. It's communication plus, plus something that's very hard to describe and I'm, I'm not the best one to describe it, right? Um, but song conveys, by its very nature, it conveys profound meaning and significance and, uh, and value and personality, right? Machines don't sing. We kind of make machines sing sometimes. Machines don't sing. People sing. Machines don't have the kind of heart that's required for song. People do. Songs are revealing, right? They're intimate. I don't know if, maybe you're an introvert and uh, it's hard for you to sing, but maybe you'll sing in the quiet of your bedroom to your spouse. It's very intimate, right? It's hard to stand up here on a Sunday morning if you're not used to it. And sing and display yourself that way, uh, display your affections that way in front of people. Right? It, it's a hard thing because it's intimate and it's revealing. The singer's heart is on display through his voice. And this makes, uh, when you understand that this is a song here at the beginning of the scriptures, this all makes for a beautiful opening to the scriptures. It's a it's a wonderful recital of God's original purpose in His creation. And it's a celebration of it. It's God's celebration of his creation. Uh, we can't talk about all the elements of the song of creation. We did that once a few weeks ago, and it took us like an hour. So, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> we're not going to talk about everything, but there's this crescendo, right? It's, I don't know what a crescendo means. It's going up, right? There's something of the importance of it is, is being magnified, something, something great. It's moving towards something great, and that crescendo is, is when God says, "Let us make man in our image," and um, and then on the sixth day he says, he, as He looks at it all, He says, "Behold, it was very good." It had been good all those other days. Now it was very good because He's made man in His image and started a relationship with Him. <clears throat> and so um, that crescendo in in God's song of creation is that. Uh, kingly creatures were made for communion with God, with the singing God. And then there's this refrain that you see over and over again. Every, every day, right? Days one through six, there was evening and there was morning. Evening and then morning, right? Which, you see that as a theme through the scriptures, post-Tenebras Lux, Lux. I don't know how you pronounce that. It's Latin. Um, after darkness, light. It's this concept of the dawn, right? The dawn. It, it's something that's coming. It's something beautiful and glorious that's coming. And we base, uh, we base all of our reality, our hopes, we're pretty sure the sun's going to rise in the morning. It's going to be a better day. That, that concept here, you see just a, an inkling of it at the beginning of the scriptures, this daily cycle after darkness, light, and it was a day, you know. So um, six times that's said. Everybody knows seven is the the number for completion, right? Seven is the symbolic number of perfection and wholeness and divine completion. Six times it's said there was this day and it was good, right? Um, So it's almost complete. Almost complete. And then there's this sustained ending. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested, right? So this, um, this is a sustained ending, and I'll explain what that means, but this is, a, this is a song about the temple that God built. Everything that you can see around you, everything you can see with a, a microscope or a telescope, everything you can't see that exists in this universe, God made it for a temple, for himself. That's what the creation is. That's what the universe is. It's a place for God to dwell with humanity in particular, those who are made in his image, in his likeness, male and female humanity for relationship with God and and in this temple that he's made. And when it says that he rested, we understand that it it means God didn't need rest in the way that we usually think about rest when we're wiping the sweat from our brow in the middle of a, a hard day under the hot sun and we're growing weary. We're expending our strength. We've only got so much left. Uh, It's taken something out of us, and we need to relax. We need to sit down. We need to have a cup of cold water, maybe a nap, right? Um, That's not what this means. We know that God uh, doesn't need rest. He doesn't take rest in that sort of sense. Any ancient reader would know immediately what's meant in this part of the song. Any ancient reader knows that the divine presence rests in a temple. The glory descends and rests in a temple. And this is the temple God made, the universe. And then on the seventh day, he blessed this day, he made it holy, he set it all apart, he christened the temple, if you will, or I don't know how you say that, um, consecrated it, set it apart, anointed it with his own presence. He sat down at the helm of the universe, He dwelt there as a dwelling place that he had made for communion with his people. Now he dwells there. So John Frame says that celebration of a completed divine work is called rest. As an eternal omnipotent being, God does not need to rest in the literal sense, but he does finish tasks, and the completion of his major tasks is important to him, a matter for celebration. And uh, Charles Jacob again says, by infinite measure, God is the supreme enjoyer of creation. That's what you see as you come to this part, this, this uh, setting apart of this Sabbath day, the seventh day. God blessing it and making it holy is God's enjoying everything that he made, entering into it for relationship with his kingly creatures, especially humanity. Um, so God had built the cosmos for himself as a house, a sanctuary, not just for himself, but to share with his creatures who were made in his image. And all of this was cause for God's celebration. So he blessed it, blessed that day, and made it holy. It's a unique day. So the world is a place of communion. And, and this goes straight against all conceptions of God, it, kind of this deistic idea, right? Deism has plagued us for too long. The concept that, yes, of course, you see uh, design in creation, and God is like this a great ancient clockmaker who puts together this very intricate thing called the cosmos and sets it up so it works, and he steps back and checks out. And he's no longer present. He's no longer imminent. He's no longer with this creation in any meaningful sort of way. That's deism. And this passage goes straight against that. When God had created what he made, it really didn't work until he came into it, until he stepped into it until he entered it as a, as a place for his presence to dwell. Right? It's, it's dead, it's empty, it's lifeless until he fills it with his presence as the temple that he made it to be. and That's the Christian view of creation and, and God's presence with us. On the seventh day, the first Sabbath, the divine presence entered the temple he had made to dwell with creation and that's glory. right? That's perfection. It's been achieved. It's been attained. Fulfillment. Joy. Everything is the way that it's supposed to be. God with us on this day. It already happened. It already happened. Nothing could be more important to our view of the world that this is all a temple and there was a time when everything worked the way it was supposed to work. There was a time when everything was right and good because God was here dwelling in his temple. The evil that we see in the world now, the suffering that we see in the world now, the brokenness that we see, it's not natural. It's not the way that it is supposed to be. Strong contrast there. It is not the way that it is supposed to be. When you see things that bring tears to your eyes or that are gut-wrenchingly painful for you to consider, uh, when you experience suffering, that is not the way that it is supposed to be. And it is important for Christians to know that. Um, something's wrong, and it, all, it hasn't always been this way. Right? This isn't the original, ultimate purpose for uh, the, the goal for God's creation. And then the song ends. Right? The song ends without really ending. The song ends with no real conclusion. No, it doesn't really sum up. It, there's no evening and morning the seventh day, like all the other days. Right? Um, and there's a sense in which this Sabbath didn't just end. It didn't just end right there, anyway. It, it extended on. Right? Um, it was, in a way, dampened, this part of the song of God's creation. It was dampened by the, the loud din of human rebellion the sound of the world breaking. But, um, but this is the good news that the whole Bible points to. And it starts here, and it it grows throughout the rest of the scriptures. Again, this kind of crescendo, this song of redemption, until you hit the high point in the Gospels with Jesus Christ. This is the good news. Peter Lightheart says, "God has determined He will not be king unless humanity shares the throne with Him." God, this, He's the King of the universe. This is His temple. This is His throne. And he will not be king unless humanity shares the throne with him. That's what he's decided. That's what he's chosen. He didn't have to choose that. He chose it because of his love, because of who he is and what kind of king he is. And so the angels renewed the song, the song of creation, the song of the cosmos, the song of the universe, the song of our eternal destiny with God in perfect communion. They renewed that song at the birth of Jesus Christ. Who's the new human? He is in himself God with us. Right? Um, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And at his birth, the angels renewed that song in him. In himself, Jesus is the temple. Right? Because he's God and man. He's fully God, he's fully divine. He doesn't lack anything of the divinity that the Father has. And he is also fully human, truly human right and so in himself he is the temple capital T temple right he's the meeting place between god and his creation because he's creator and creature in one person jesus christ himself is the temple he's the new creation because this creation was broken by us it's got to be renewed it's got to be made new and in himself he is the new creation he's the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth He is the perfect communion of God with his kingly creature in one person. That's Jesus Christ. And and his presence, his presence, the divine presence that rests in this temple, his presence, his fellowship, is for all the earth. It's for all peoples. That's, again, why Jesus was angry at the money changers in, in, in the temple. They were crowding out the place the only place in the temple where the Gentiles could go. There, was, there were all those sections, you know, the, the inner heart of the temple, the holy of holies, the most holy place. Only one priest could go once a year. And then the rest of the temple, really only the other priests could go. And then the, the next concentric circle out, only the men of Israel could go. And then outside of that was the court of the women of Israel. They could go there. But outside of that, there's this huge court that's meant to be the court of the Gentiles. Uh, it's meant to be this place where all the nations can come in and have fellowship with the one true God, and come to know him, and experience some measure of his presence at least, and they'd been crowded out by the business of uh, the Israelites, the money changers in the temple. They're doing good things, they're exchanging money, they're they're selling you animals for sacrifices and whatnot. They should have done it outside the temple. They shouldn't have done it inside where the Gentiles, Gentiles were allowed to go. And so Jesus was angry at them because they were hoarding God's presence for themselves. They were saying in some way, we deserve this. You don't. But Jesus, who is the temple himself, he's for all peoples. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus Christ has come for you to be God's presence in your life through relationship with Jesus, God's temple, God's presence is for everybody. It's for the whole world. His Sabbath rest, His Sabbath celebration, is for everybody through the person of His Son Jesus. And there was uh, there was darkness at the evening of His death on the cross as He hung there. The sky darkened for several hours. Darkened early, right that afternoon. The sky grew dark. The whole world grew dark. But then the universe rang again with the song of life at the dawn of the new Sabbath, at the first crack of resurrection sunlight, on the first day of the week. The first day of the week now, uh, which, which is why we remember the Sabbath on Sunday instead of Saturdays. It's the first day of the week. As we read in our uh, offering reading from 1 Corinthians 16, when you get together on the first day of the week, you're supposed to bring this offering, right? Uh, this is why... We remember the Sabbath on Sunday because that 's the day Jesus rose from the dead the the true beginning of the new glorified humanity, the new glorified temple in his person um, and that's it 's parallel to uh, israel 's understanding of the Sabbath you, you see it the Ten Commandments are presented in exodus twenty and they 're also presented in deuteronomy five and the the fourth commandment gets a little bit different treatment in those places in Exodus twenty it talks about you know creation god's sabbath being the ground for our keeping the sabbath in Deuteronomy 5 it's redemption salvation deliverance the exodus because i draw i drew you out of the land of egypt that's why you're supposed to keep this sabbath and our deliverance our redemption our renewal uh, are being created new in Christ on the day of his resurrection is uh, is the parallel for that it's it's a big enough deal for us to start celebrating Uh, and worshiping and gathering on a different day of the week for the Sabbath to have shifted to uh, Sundays now. And so now, Jesus, having died for our sins, having risen at the the dawn of the new creation from the dead, um, he ascended into heaven, and now he sits, the divine presence with humanity. The divine presence with humanity, resting, sitting, is. Picture of resting, dwelling, ruling, all authority having been given to him, all authority in heaven and on earth. He rests and dwells and rules in heaven now, the divine presence with humanity. And that's that's what the book of Hebrews is all about, that, that New Testament reading that we had. Jesus is our king. He's our high priest. He's our temple. He's the one who secures our he secures the divine presence with humanity for us in himself. Where he is right now, we, we know, uh, He's before the throne of God above, we have a strong and perfect plea of great high priest whose name is love. And uh, that's the song we were just saying it, right? Uh, it's because he's there, because he's taken our humanity into the presence of God himself, we know that, um, that we have a good future with the divine presence dwelling with us, right? Um, Because by his grace, where he is, there we may also be. Where he is, that's our home too. And so just as the song of creation uh, from Genesis 1, it led up to the the holiness of the seventh day. It's blessed by God, it's set apart, it's consecrated. Um, It led to the holiness of the seventh day. So the whole history of the universe leads up to Jesus Christ, God dwelling with his kingly creature in him. The whole point of the universe, the whole point of history has led up to Jesus Christ and one day soon, don't know what that means uh, soon with the sound of trumpets the music of trumpets the everlasting dawn will rise over the new heavens and the new earth and all things will be made new and right as they were meant to be from the beginning. Everything will work the way that it's supposed to once again. It will be this eternal sabbath that's guaranteed to us by Jesus Christ, by his word, by his blood, by his spirit that's given to us. It's guaranteed that that everlasting dawn will rise over all the earth, and when we reach that Sabbath, the Sabbath for which the world was created, when we reach that day, the curse for our sin will be forever lifted, and God will wipe away all of our tears, every single one of them, and every burden will be transformed and it will be a time of celebration of perfection of completion, the likes of which you can 't even imagine you can 't even begin to imagine and God calls it a great, joyful, extravagant feast that marks the beginning of all things working how they 're supposed to work and this this Sabbath is eternity it 's the great uh, reward in a sense of believers, and it 's been the steady goal of God as our redeemer for thousands of years. And, Paul says in Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So there's a there's a positive trajectory to all of reality. All of reality, all of history is going somewhere good. Just like you see at the beginning of the, the scriptures, this song of creation, it's all going somewhere amazing. This sense of completion and perfection and fulfillment. The universe is not meaningless. It's not directionless. It's not random chance. It's full of purpose, and its goal is glory. It's all going somewhere, and in Jesus Christ, we see that that where it's all going is very good. It's very good, and it's promised to us uh, as a gift of his grace where it's going, where this whole universe is going. We'll talk about this more in coming weeks is the the perfect union of all things in Jesus Christ. Peter Mead has a book on the Incarnation called "Please to Dwell where he talks about the marital intent in everything. Everything God has made is to be this this place where we have real true union with the divine through what he has made. It's the marital intent of of everything, of the whole world. And this is why... Think of the marital intent of everything. It's why it's, it's so wrong headed for us to ask questions like Do Christians still have to keep the Sabbath? What, what should I do? What should I not do? Doesn't that sound like the wrong question now? Think of this seventh day here in Genesis 2 like the great honeymoon the great honeymoon, the marital intent of everything, the great honeymoon between God and his creation. Especially us, his kingly creatures who are made in his image. It's the great honeymoon here in Genesis 2. And it's the perfect analogy, really. Uh, there is something, it's, it's relational about this day. This day is not kind of unique in and of itself for some strange reason. It's because it, it's the time where God's presence dwells with us. It's relational. It's about union, and communion, so this marital analogy... It, I mean, marriage is a, is a bare analogy for the glory of what this union is, right? And so think of this as the honeymoon. And those of you who have experienced a glorious honeymoon, where you've spent a lot of your wealth on preparing for this day, and you go somewhere amazing with your with your brand new spouse, your beloved, filled with joy, filled with intimacy. Can you imagine asking your spouse... Do we really have to celebrate our anniversary? What kind of things can I do and not do on our anniversary? It's a perfect analogy. Um, You hear how strange that sounds, right? If you ask those questions of your spouse, it shows that you're totally checked out of the relationship. Um, John Calvin says, this is indeed the proper business of the whole life in which men should daily exercise themselves to consider the infinite goodness, justice, power, and wisdom of God in this magnificent theater of heaven and earth. That's what we're supposed to be about with all of our daily lives. Enjoying our union with God and contemplating his His divine glories and beauties and perfections. Rejoicing in God's presence with you in this place that he's made to be, this temple rejoicing in God's presence. Your whole life should be about that. And you do that through through your relationship with Jesus Christ. That supreme temple now is Jesus Christ. Sabbath rest. The way things... uh, uh, Being the way that they're supposed to be, that's found in Him alone. Right? The, The ultimate purpose, the ultimate destiny of your life, the way that you were created to be in relationship with God, that's found in Jesus Christ alone. He is the supreme temple and one day the whole world will be renewed by his presence the whole world will become again this kind of immediate place where God dwells with his people and now until then the earthly temple the place where God meets with his people in this world is right here it's the church it's not a church building right the church is the people the place that the people that God has fellowship with through Jesus Christ um Uh, is the earthly temple, and God has built into our weekly lives then a regular schedule, this expectation. This is an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity to go to the temple. It's an opportunity to go to the house of the Lord to spend Sabbath time, to spend holy time, unique, celebratory, blessed time with Him in the church. And uh, this is an amazing passage from Nehemiah 8, probably not very familiar to a lot of us because who reads Nehemiah? Um, <clears throat> but Nehemiah 8, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, it's kind of the, the priestly class of people who are trying to teach the people after they've recovered the book of the law after it having been lost for some time. Uh, they say to all the people on the Sabbath day, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions, and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. There was no misunderstanding when when they said, this day is holy, this day is special, this day is set apart, go and and celebrate. The people went and celebrated and they rejoiced because they understood what God's word had said about the Sabbath. So uh, John Frame again says, by its very nature, the Sabbath is a feast, not a fast. Um, It's not the time where you show up dour and somber and uh, begrudgingly. It's a time for joy and celebration and delight and sharing. By its very nature, Frame says, the Sabbath is a feast, not a fast. It's a time of abundance, not deprivation. It should be a time of delight, a time of play and joy, and in that enjoyment, we anticipate the prosperity promised in God's covenant, the delight awaiting us in the new heavens and the new earth. So it's because of this, this concept of the Sabbath that you see throughout the scriptures, right here at the beginning of it, the song of creation, this glorious concept of our eternal destiny promised to us that that we see fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself, because of that simple application, Christians should be pretty good partiers, especially on Sundays, where we get together with God's people and we celebrate who God is and what he's done in the world and in our lives. The Sabbath should symbolize that. And that's what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. So keep the Sabbath holy. It's the best part of the song that God is singing. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would uh, embed this good news deep in our hearts, that you would transform our minds by the good news of, uh, of you being the God of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ being the Lord of the Sabbath, being the temple in and of himself, the place where God dwells with his people, that you have chosen to do so uh, and that this will never end you, um, the divine glory dwelling with humanity in one person forever, and that you've called us all to enter into that blessed relationship and blessed communion, we pray that uh, this would be the light and the joy and the great sure hope of all of our lives, this relationship with you that we have guaranteed to us. we pray that it would, uh, it would truly transform us from the inside out, the way that we look at this whole world and what you're doing in it. Uh, we pray that you would keep us from despair, uh, from despairing that this world is insignificant, that uh, matter is all that there is and that uh, life is meaningless ultimately. We pray that you would keep us from hopelessness, that you would ground our hopes firmly in your, your very word uh, from beginning to end. That you have this goal, this purpose, this meaning for our lives, this this blessed eternal communion with you. We pray that that would shape every part of our lives and um, that it would shape all of our relationships so that we would be able to extend your grace and your love and your kingdom everywhere we go in all of our relationships with family and friends and coworkers.